0: And now a reading from the Gospel according to Matthew, chapter 28, verses 16 through 20. Then the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. When they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely, I am with you always, to the very end of the age. The Gospel of our Lord. Praise to you, Lord Jesus Christ.
1: And now, having heard our gospel text, we take a moment of quiet to open our hearts, to reflect, and to sort of pay attention and show up to the moment. And whatever we bring to this moment, whether it's lots of faith or lots of doubt, we simply invite you to bring your full self. And in the quiet of this moment, let's ask God to connect this story to our story and the challenges that we face together in this world. and now let us pray. God, open our hearts that we would see, that we would hear, and that we'd have courage and faith in this moment. Amen. After I expressed my personal disgust for the president's actions earlier this week, when he walked someone else's Bible through a crowd parted by force, he stood in front of someone else's church to pose hollowly on the heels of threats, threats of domination, and military action, I was asked an inflammatory question. Are you even a Christian? Now, of course, I'm not sure how you would respond to a question like that, but I'd like you to consider it today. You know, in my mind, my immediate response was different than it would have been, say, 10 years ago, where I would have flippantly and confidently flaunted my sort of secure status as Christian. But instead, in the quiet, Of the moment where I read those words, I simply thought, in the inner sanctum of my heart, I hope that I am. Former slave Linda Brent, she also was known as Harriet Jacobs. She had her hopes stirred. She thought that her mother's service as a faithful slave to the mistress would guarantee that her mistress would free Linda in her will upon the mistress's death. But instead, tragically, the mistress bequeathed Linda to the mistress's five-year-old niece. Linda recognized in that moment what we're all recognizing that you cannot teach the golden rule without first practicing the golden rule. She courageously rejected and wrote about the hypocrisy and the dissonance and the disconnect between what her slave mistress taught her and how she treated her. Now, this is Brent's response to the specific injustice within the larger atrocity of slavery. She says, quote, so vanished our hopes. My mistress had taught me the precepts of God's word that thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself, and whatsoever you would uh, a man do unto you do unto them. But I was her slave and I suppose that she did not recognize me as her neighbor, end quote. Today is Trinity Sunday and we look at a text that's iconically labeled uh, or in the 19th century as the great commission and now. As we face this cherished text together, as if we needed any more impetus, this moment is forcing us to consider the great sickness of American spirituality, which in turn is forcing many of us to rethink exactly where we are and how we arrived here. But instead of doubling down on our previous understandings, which is what frightened humans do, I urge us to embrace the disorientation. I invite us this morning to interrogate our previous understandings, including understandings of the so-called great commission. And to do this work, I think we have to take a hard look in the mirror at what Dallas Willard called the great omission of American Christian spirituality. And to do this work, I'm going to enlist the help of womanist theologian, Dr. Mitzi J. Smith. She's brilliant. Dr. Smith reminds us that this text's iconic naming as the great commission happened around the same time that Linda Brent as a slave, was experiencing the devastating reality of American Christian hypocrisy. This title, Great Commission, was popularized by famous missionaries like Hudson Taylor or William Carey. It became the focal point. It became the filter for measuring success in the British and in the American churches. And it's a legacy that we continue to experience today. But a great omission was made, an omission that people perhaps at the time couldn't see because their imaginations were laced with colonial instincts and visions. Jesus' so-called great commission was interpreted in terms of colonialism. It was a divine mandate to go to a pagan nation or nations to teach them and to convert them. And one can see why they would come to this conclusion. The imperial language of Rome after all was adopted in the commission itself. Listen in. Jesus says, uh, beginning with the language of power, All authority has been given to me. And then we get the scope of the mission. He says, they're to go to all the nations or the peoples of the earth. And what's the job? Well, it's framed as teaching them to obey. Now this Imperial echo has led many interpreters to think that maybe Matthew was corrupted by the Imperial context. And maybe this great commission has no helpful use in a world like ours, but Dr. Mitzi Smith believes otherwise. And so do I. Yes, imperial language is used here, and it's led to so many abuses and misunderstandings in every age where that imperial spirit is present. It happened with the Holy Roman Empire when it was abused through the Crusades. It happened after Christianity's center relocated to Western Europe, where it became entangled with Western, I mean, Western royal politics. And it was abused in the colonial expansion, you know, the three centuries of Spanish Inquisition. It was The so-called Age of Exploration, which I think David Bailey rightly calls the Age of Exploitation. It was abused in the transatlantic slave trade and the vanquishing of indigenous peoples in the Americas. And that imperial spirit continues to show up in the present moment where Christians have significantly conflated uh, Christianity with supremacies of all kind. State, race, gender, sexuality, you name it. And it makes possible the actions of our president where he threatens to take military action on his own people, and he promises a dominating response to the rowdy, and then he attaches it to the Bible and the church. And a large portion of christian America citizenry applauds. But what if Matthew never intended Jesus to be read this way? What if we've omitted the very thing that makes the commission of Jesus powerful and good? You know, what if the human problem of supremacy Rooted in that primal story of Cain and Abel extending through history, you know, taking our imperial ideas of authority as domination and purpose as turning them into us. What if that human problem has persisted through the ages and continues to override the original intent of these last words of Jesus? We've taken Jesus' words, we've made them something else. We turned authority into social hierarchy and association with the right chain of command. We turned making disciples into simply teaching or exporting content and exporting beliefs to people who don't believe or agree with them. And rather than a loving invitation, we've defined this as a sovereign command to be obeyed no matter what, how ready we are or how awkward it may be. But I'd like to ask what if the methods and the messages that people have taken abroad under the name of good news can only be truly restored to the status of good when we have the courage to listen, to listen to the witness of the people and the communities who've suffered the consequences of this great omission. I believe that we must learn to hear the critical voice crying to us in the American wilderness, that we can only begin and that we must begin to repent and to rediscover with their help what the good news of Jesus Christ really is. Dr. Smith invites us to let Matthew speak to us about authority, not empire. And at the end of the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus, his main body of teaching, it said of him that he taught as one who had authority, not as the scribes. And just before this, he had concluded with this big, triple emphasis, the importance of practice of tangibly embodying God's will in our life. The authority granted to Jesus is the one based on a lived life. And in the words of Dr. Smith, it's based on a dynamic quote, organic ministry characterized by congruity between his acts of justice and the words he spoke. It's this congruity that is the great omission of America. We have divorced words and deeds, ideas, and behavior, just faith and just practice. And Matthew sets the stage to show us that authority is the integration of the two. You know, the level of impatience and disgust and outrage or even cynicism among our black brothers and sisters toward white Christians right now is aimed at the omission of congruity, at a great disconnect between the love and the faith that we talk about and the way we connect that to the tangible suffering of their community. It's aimed at a spirituality of optics, that like the spirituality of the scribes and the Pharisees, who Jesus critiqued vehemently, cleans the outside of the cup while neglecting the stain on the inside. And so Dr. Smith helps us see that this authority isn't rooted in imperial ideas of hierarchy or domination or extension, but rather the authority Jesus is talking about is the result of a beautiful combination of just practice and just words. And the authority that he gives his disciples to teach all uh, to teach is all about continuation. Jesus asks us to take on his authority, to live in that authority, which comes from the interplay, the marriage between words and deeds without which there is no participation in the kingdom of heaven. It's no coincidence that Jesus doesn't begin his ministry before he has shown that he will not abuse his power or the authority that God's entrusted him. You know, I consider my own ministry experience. And the evangelical church has often failed to follow Jesus' pattern here when it comes to promoting people into positions of power and authority. The church has often valued charismatic leadership, dynamic personalities, gifted public speakers, and too quickly it immerses them in positions of leadership. I think that we've been seeing the fallout of this in America. Now I consider my and my wife's first experiences was trying to practice this so-called great commission. we were both part of church groups white kids from the american south sent to the housing projects in chicago and to the indigenous peoples in nevada with very little lived experience of the jesus way and very little understanding of jesus actual teaching we were sent with prepackaged summaries of a, a thinned out gospel that excluded most of what jesus emphasized when he talked about the good news like the emphasis on relief for the poor sight for the blind freedom for the oppressed Etc. And we went to tell them that they needed to repent, that they needed to convert. These are the consequences of the great omission of making Jesus' last words about extending a message and making converts, usually by whatever means is necessary, and neglecting that sort of congruity that Jesus' authority is rooted in. We have to learn the lesson that we can't export what we don't possess. And unfortunately, the white-dominated American church has doubled down with echoes of colonial mandates on exporting a faith that's often not been willing to consistently integrate with just, just words and just practice. And the church and the world suffer as a result. This is why we need to recover the priority of practice. It takes nothing away from what we've classically called faith. In fact, the Bible often frames faith as incomplete as insufficient if it isn't accompanied by practice. Practice is the telos of our faith, and the practice of love and justice is its crown. Yes, we should always be striving to keep the heart open to God and open to ourselves and open to our neighbors, but at the same time, we need to get to work. And Jesus constantly asks us to interrogate the fruit of our lives and of our world, to look at the outcomes. And if we discover bad fruit, We must conclude there's a rotten root. And so to come into contact with this rotten root, a rotten fruit, for this to lead us into an honest and an intense interrogation of the root, that's the work of discipleship. This is the integration that produces authority. This is the integration that's worth reproducing in the world, not as a sovereign command, but as a loving invitation from our Creator. The great tragedy is that the white American church's understanding of the Great Commission has rarely slowed or stifled the presence and the participation in white supremacy. And in many cases, it's actually extended, exported, and justified it. And so we do well with our womenist theologians to interrogate this teaching afresh, to get back to its founding idea, to recover what it means to be a disciple of Jesus, what it means to have true authority which comes from integration, what it means to bear witness to something beyond us in ways that aren't violent, that aren't dominating, but are rather dignifying and enriching. It's time to get beyond an understanding of Jesus' mission as teaching people how to join our religious and cultural team and instead recover this mission as rooted in the authority of integration of just words and just deeds, flowing out as an invitation to a lifestyle of love and of justice. Jesus didn't say, teach them right ideas. He said, teach them how to practice what I've taught. And what did Jesus teach? Yet today we need to recover the command as the command of love. We need to recover the vision for this love in the Sermon on the Mount, you know, with its blessed poor and it's blessed meek and it's blessed peacemakers with its reconciling worshipers who take responsibility and they make restitution with its loving of enemies. We need to recover this example of love in Jesus' life that listens to the outsiders and their cries, like the example of the Syrophoenician woman whose persistent cries reach Jesus' ears. And in Matthew's story, Jesus learns and he shifts as a result. Jesus as God with us isn't above being taught or challenged because that's what love looks like. We need to recover the example of holding tensions at the same table that could have a place for a tax collector who was an accomplice to the empire, and a zealot who was violently trying to take that empire down. We need to make this love tangible and we need to embody it like Jesus did. And that's our church's mission after all, to embody the love of Christ for the good of our neighbor. Now, what does that mean right now? Cassandra Overton Welchin, who is the co-founder and director of Mississippi Women's Economic Security Initiative was asked this question on a webinar hosted by our partner Telos this week. She said, I don't want your hugs, basically. I'm paraphrasing. I don't want the words that you would offer that feel hollow when you've experienced loss. She said, if love is wanting and doing what's best for another person or another group, then we should do something about this. She said, she thinks she looks at the wage gap in Mississippi, which is wider than any other state because of the legislation. And then she thinks about how black women bear the brunt of that wage gap. And then she thinks of the churches where you have governors and legislators sitting in pews, and what are they hearing from their pastors and their spiritual leaders? What if they were called upon in the name of Jesus to just practice the way Jesus did to people like Zacchaeus or the rich young ruler or the scribes and the Pharisees? What if we emphasized not just interpersonal love, but public love, and in the words of Cornell West, justice is simply what love looks like in public. And love always begins with listening. You know, too often people have an idea of what is best for someone, uh, but they haven't asked whether that person thinks it's best for them. And so we fall into savior traps. And as the Reverend Al Sharpton said at George Floyd's funeral, and I paraphrase, we don't need a white savior. We just need you to get your knee off our neck. Paul Tillich says, the first act of love is to listen. We can't skip that step. In order to know what is just in a person-to-person encounter, Paul Tillich says, quote, love listens. It is its first task to listen. No human relation, especially no intimate one, is possible without mutual listening. Reproaches, reactions, defenses may be justified in terms of proportional justice, but perhaps they would prove to be unjust if there were more mutual listening, all things and all men, so to speak, call on us with small or loud voices. They want us to listen. They want us to understand their intrinsic claims, their justice of being. They want justice from us, but we can give it to them only through the love which listens, End quote. Now's the time to listen. It's a time to embrace the dissonance, to not let our previous understandings explain away or categorize everything that's unfolding in this American chaos. No, Matthew talks about the justice of God with us. And from the beginning, Jesus is called Emmanuel until the end where Jesus says, my presence will be with you always. We need that presence. We need receptive hearts that will explode in a moment of love and justice that produces an authority that doesn't come overnight, but through practice. And through self-interrogation, it produces more and more people that put Jesus' words into practice.
0: That's the work. So let's do the work. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Good Shepherd New York podcast. Good Shepherd New York is an interdenominational church centered around the life and teachings of Jesus Christ. Our church is theologically rooted in the Apostles and Nicene creeds, but we welcome people of any or no religious backgrounds to participate in our community. If you would like to support us, please text NY all lowercase with no spaces, to 77977. That's goodshepherdny to 77977 or visit our website, goodshepherdnewyork.com. Thank you for listening.